Good morning. It is seven minutes after 10 o'clock, and uh, Jennifer Bukowski is uh, going to be with us about one half hour from now. She's got several stories that I think uh, are of, uh, of interest. Uh, there were three girls that were abducted and stabbed in 1975. Now they know who did it. Uh, the uh, U.S. Supreme Court is going to let uh, Border Patrol remove Texas razor wire fencing for now. Uh, we'll we'll get into some of that with her. Tim Scott's mystery girlfriend is now his fiance. Woo! Uh, and uh, finally, uh, well, not finally. This is just one of many. Uh, ousted Florida Republican chair cleared of rape. Um, you remember that? I, I think they were um, polyamorous or swingers or something, and he met this woman, and it it really is messy. Um, but anyway, we'll get to that with, with her at uh, 1035. I'm curious to hear all the juicy details of that. But uh, right now, uh, President Biden is about to give Vladimir Putin and Iran a great big bundle of money. Oh, he's not going to deliver cash exactly. But apparently, he's catering to the global warming uh, crowd uh, that are so upset about us using carbon fuels. So what he's going to do is embargo uh, uh, liquid natural gas exports. Wall Street Journal says our sources say Biden advised John Podesta is uh, board Biden advisor John Podesta is pushing the idea in the White House uh, as a sop to the climate lobby which is still furious of the administration's approval of ConocoPhillips' uh, uh, Willow Oil Project in Alaska. So what happens if we can't export liquefied natural uh, natural gas? Well, first it hurts us because we're not exporting, and that certainly creates jobs. But that does leave the field wide open for others to export, uh, and that would be... Vladimir Putin and Iran. So over what I would argue is a non-existent problem, the administration is going to literally uh, tip the, the marketplace on its ear so that he can get more votes from the far left. I, I just, I have to wonder... If, if the people on the left, if Democrats really think this stuff through, uh, it, 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 clearly they don't. The growth in liquefied natural gas exports uh, owes largely to uh, projects approved by the Trump administration. That alone is reason for this administration to want to kill it. Anything that Trump did, whether it was right or wrong, in their mind has to stop. It was wrong. The Energy Department must approve liquid natural gas exports to countries that don't have free trade agreements with the United States. The Department of Energy has approved five permits, all of which have been uh, uh, capacity expansions. The Trump uh, administration approved 14 permits. But now they want to they want to cut back. They want to stop. Well, great. Then the the void will be filled 
by the Russians and Iran. And I don't mind them competing, but I don't want to hand it to them on a silver platter. And that apparently is what the Biden administration will do. Uh, this uh, this story popped up yesterday, and I, I didn't get a chance to to talk about it. Apparently, the January sixth committee deleted uh, just shy of 120 files that the Republicans were supposed to get, and apparently, the the Republicans found it, and it's all uh, encrypted. And they want the key. They want to know what was in those files. They were deleted just days before the Republicans got control of the House of uh, Representatives and started their own investigation into what happened on January 6th. They were supposed to get these files, but the Democrats deleted them. So... Just out of curiosity, what do you think would happen if this switch was going the other way? If it was the Democrats taking over and they wanted to see these files, but the Republicans deleted them? The media would be in an uproar. House rules required the Democrats to turn over all the files of the former January 6th committee. Instead, they deleted uh, just about 100, 117, almost 120 of them. A digital forensics team uh, employed by the uh, Republican-led uh, committee recovered all 117 encrypted files, but the files are password protected. Now the chairman is demanding that Democrat uh, former chair uh, Benny Thompson provide the passwords needed to examine the recovered files. What are the Democrats hiding? What are they afraid of? Did they do something wrong? I mean, that's the first thought that comes to my mind. It's, you know, if it was innocuous, it was above board, they wouldn't have done this. So they uh, they sent a letter uh, Tuesday, January 24, um, for the deadline that they have to pa- give the passwords. It is obvious that Democrats have gone to great lengths to destroy evidence and obstruct uh, the committee's investigation of what led up to what happened at January 6th. This is getting ugly. By the way, somebody sent me a link. Uh, it, you remember when they, uh, they found the pipe bombs um, in front of the uh, DNC? There is video of the Secret Service and and the police uh, when they identified the bomb. And it's really peculiar because they were standing right next to it. Uh, there were school kids uh, uh, walking right by it. Uh, it all kinds of, uh, you know, people, uh, some of them went up there and took pictures of it. If you got a pipe bomb with a timer on it and you see a bunch of kids walking across the street and you're afraid this thing might explode, don't you go out and usher the kids away, get away, stand back, 
look out? Wouldn't the Secret Service, ostensibly there to protect the the uh, vice president, wouldn't they be, you know, more protective? I mean, they're doing everything but sitting around having a cigarette and taking a nap. I don't, um, you know, I don't want to be that tinfoil hat guy, but I sure don't understand how you can have a pipe bomb that you're afraid might go off and act like it's never going to go off. It's okay. Kids can come by. Uh, practically, uh, you know, uh, inviting people over to, to have a good look at it. It's crazy. But it makes you think maybe they knew it was never going to go off because they planted it. Brian, hand me the tinfoil. I, I need to make a hat. No, I have it on right now. I can't use it. Sorry. Uh, then I'm... <laughs> I'm not going to be protected. All right, we got to take a break while I go get some tinfoil. It's the Gary Nolan Show on the Zimmer Radio Network. It is uh, 20 minutes after 10 o'clock. Uh, I've got the details on that uh, video that I was telling you about. Uh, apparently, this was an interview uh, with uh, Tucker Carlson. Uh, and uh, Darren Beadle published a, a commentary on this. And uh, Tom Woods has been circulating it. So, and when you hear the details of this, uh, I'm telling you, you want to, you think you don't want a tinfoil hat, but you, you almost have to. Um, this is, uh, footage shows the discovery of the pipe bomb at a bench outside the DNC headquarters. The first clips show that approximately 105, a man in a uh, in a, with a backpack approaches the Metro PD SUV and a black Secret Service SUV informing them of the pipe bomb's presence. Interestingly, recent report uh, from uh, TPC uh, for USA reveals that the man in the black uh, with the backpack is actually a plain clothed, uh, clothes uh, Capitol Police officer. Here's the first signs things are a bit out of the ordinary. After being informed of a pipe bomb feet away, Metro PD authorities, who are technically on the Secret Service detail, take over a minute before they even bother getting out of the car. Now things are really getting weird. Take a look at the clip. Uh, note how casually Metro PD and the Secret Service operations lounge after being informed of the pipe bomb just feet away. There's absolutely zero concern for their own safety or that of their protectee, Vice President Harris. Toward the end of the clip, you see a pedestrian walk by. They didn't warn him that there was a bomb just feet away. Incredibly bizarre. In the clip, we see whoever is manning the Capitol Police cameras finally responds to the information regarding the pipe bomb and zooms into the benches where the pipe bomb was planted. Notice the empty coffee cup on the bench right next to the pipe bomb. January 6th was a very windy day. It's unlikely an empty coffee cup would have lasted on that bench for long before getting blown away. Someone had to be sitting there recently. Perhaps the plainclothes officer? Can't say this definitively, but it appears 11 seconds into the clip that you can briefly catch the timer on the pipe bomb in view. If the nonchalance of the Secret Service seemed weird before, now it gets downright scandalous. 
In the clip, we not only see a bunch of Secret Service agents standing in close proximity to the pipe bomb, we see a group of children cross the street toward the location of the bomb, ultimately walking within feet of it, and the Secret Service don't bother to warn the children of the bomb? Either these Secret Service agents were utterly concerned with the life of their protectee, Kamala Harris, the lives of the children and their own lives, or they somehow knew the pipe bomb was a dud. But how would they know that? We know the DNC pipe bomb was dismantled by a bomb-safe robot. How could one possibly explain the scenario in which the bomb is considered safe enough to allow children to walk within feet of it, and yet requires a bomb-safe robot to, quote-unquote, defuse it? Minutes later, Capitol Police officer walks right up to the bomb and snaps a photo of it, gives a thumbs-up signal, and everyone leaves quickly thereafter. Weirdly, the Secret Service behavior after the Capitol Police officer takes a picture of the bomb is the fastest we've seen them move the entire time. Now we have to confront some very disturbing questions. We've seen the bizarre and damning video in which the Secret Service respond with a total lack of concern upon being uh, informed of the bomb, unconcerned for themselves, their protectee, Kamala Harris, even for the children they allowed to walk within feet of the bomb, clearly they knew the bomb was a dud, but how? Nonetheless, we've said they were, uh, nonetheless, as we've said, they were through the motions of dismantling the bomb with a bomb-safe robot. And what about Kamala Harris, who was being protected by the Secret Service? Well, she actively covered up the fact that she was in the DNC building for over a year to the point of allowing the DOJ to falsely stipulate that she was in the Capitol uh, in certain January 6th indictments. Why on earth would Kamala Harris cover this up? She still hasn't acknowledged it. When you put all that together, don't you get the feeling that maybe this was a plant? By the FBI? I think it was the Babylon Bee, Brian, had a picture of a pipe with a, 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 a little sticker on it that said, if found, return to the FBI. This just reeks of a setup. And You know, something that we've never done here, at least that I can remember, is ask the listeners if they think that the feds were involved in January 6th. I mean, it's more and more. Initially, I thought, no, certainly they couldn't possibly involve themselves in in this. But you, after a while, you start seeing things like this. It's like you know, I don't think uh, wearing this tinfoil is so much of an embarrassment after all. <laughs> <laughs> so we can take it off. It's okay. Yeah, I think so. Oh Lord. All right, let's uh, let's do this. We got Roy hanging out out there. Let's bring him in into the fold. Roy, welcome. How are you? I'm doing great. I really wanted to point this out, so thank you for the opportunity. You say bomb removal robot. I'm thinking um, lack of evidence uh, removal. So plausible, no one will ever look at the bomb to see if it was a bomb now. Well, they said it was a dud. Um, yeah, but they had confidence. You were pointing that out without using the right word. Well, my word, confidence. The security yeah, well, they, felt too secure. Yeah, they're walking around it, taking pictures of it, letting kids walk by it. 
That's because uh, they already knew it was a dud, and the robot, now nobody's going to question whether it was a dud or not, because we had to... <laughs> I'm sorry, that was just completing the theater, having the robot Yes, that's all it was. It was all theater. I mean, yes, if you knew theater. that there was a bomb with a timer on it, and you saw kids walking toward it, you'd rush out there and go, kids, stay away. There's, there's a problem here. Nominate this for a Golden Globe under the category of bad theater? I, I don't think they give bad theater Golden Globe awards. Oh, yes, they do, every one of them. I, I, think, I think it was actually uh, pretty good acting, just a lousy script. All right, thanks. Thanks, Roy. Glad to have you at the Gary Nolan Show. That is just troubling. Uh, Melissa says, yes, Gary, they are hiding um, a word that rhymes, I suspect, with uh, spit. Uh, they are primarily responsible. Proud Boys got taken to the cleaners. Check out Steve Baker uh, and the blaze for what he has found out. If the government hadn't been lying to us for the last 100 years, and, and they have. They've been lying to us for 100 years. Maybe even before that, but for sure for the last century. Maybe if they hadn't been doing that, we could take their word for something. But as I always say, if, if the federal government comes up and says, hey, listen, we're lying, they're probably lying about lying. They, they just never tell the truth. They encourage cynicism. And the disturbing thing is, by the time you find out, it's too late. They've inflicted the pain, done the damage. So now a lot of us just don't trust anything that comes out of their mouths. Like I said, if they told me they were lying, I wouldn't believe them. 874-9390, toll free, 800-529-5572. we got uh, Jennifer Bukowski coming up. Ousted Florida Republican chair cleared of rape allegation, but... The police are trying to get a video voyeurism charge. Uh, the accuser uh, should be charged with filing a false report, Jennifer says. As a criminal defense attorney, I'd be interested to hear her take on this. And I don't know, did you hear about the stabbing? It was in 1975, Brian, and they now know who did it? I did, yes. Wow. Uh, incredible. Uh, also, in a rare move, 60 Missouri prison staffers advocate for commuting a man's death sentence. These are law enforcement. These are security guards. The, uh, they're, and I read his uh, what his defense attorneys uh, had him do uh, at his trial. And he really did not get good representation. Uh, we'll find out what uh, she thinks about that. Uh, and uh, finally, the U.S. Supreme Court lets the Border Patrol remove the Texas razor wire fencing. For now, they're apparently laying this razor wire out, trying to discourage people from coming into the country. And uh, the courts are saying, "Nah, hold on a second here. And Roberts and uh, Amy Coney Barrett voted with the left. We'll look into that decision, too. On the Gary Nolan Show, the Zimmer Radio Network. This is the Gary Nolan Show. It's uh, it's ten thirty five, 
And uh, Jennifer Bukowski is uh, supposed to be here. Uh, and she will be here uh, shortly, I am sure. You know, I, I really think that she uh, she has a timer set somewhere. Yeah. And uh, at the, the last second, uh, dials us up. Because uh, she likes to, you know, test me and see if I'll die of a heart attack or something. Um, yeah, that's what she's done. That's what she did. She's here now. Let's, uh, let's lock her in. Jennifer Bukowski, good morning. Jen? Good morning, Gary. You're, you're trying to give me a heart attack, aren't you? <laughs> I like to keep a little excitement going on on Tuesdays for well, you. You're a little late, but we're glad you're here. A lot, a lot of great stories here, uh, but uh, before I uh, before I get too far along, uh, let me re- remind uh, our listeners at uh, KWTO that you're going to be filling in for Elijah Har uh, from four to six today, right? I will. Yeah, this is my first time uh, filling in for Elijah. Looking forward to it. Four to six today. Well, he's a pretty uh, pretty amazing talent. So, I, you you got big shoes to fill. I'm sure you'll do it. Let's uh, let's go into this uh, Florida Republican chair. Uh, is, if I'm not mistaken, uh, he and his wife were polyamorous. Is that right? Well, apparently they had uh, proposed a tryst, a three-way with this other woman that the husband had known for 20 years, it turns out. The wife couldn't make it. She backed out. He is 40 years old. He went over and uh, engaged in... Uh, sexual relations with that woman. She accused him of rape two days later, Gary. Um, And she said that he forced her into the apartment and raped her. And so there was this investigation. He said it was all consensual. She showed, they put like a tap on her phone and she accused him of like, you know what you did to me? And he like hinted towards some sort of like financial help if she needed help he ends up being initially charged with this rape well then it turned out he filmed it and after the police reviewed the video of it they said that it was a consensual encounter and he would not be charged with rape but now they're looking at charging him (laughs) with videotaping it without the woman's consent my question is if it's so obvious that it's not a rape like she described it why isn't she being looked at for filing a false police report? I don't know. Um, but what got him out Isn't of the frying pan? Though? Yeah, he don't have sex with women that you have to secretly record just in case they accuse you of rape. Like, he must have known going in that something could blow up, which is why he recorded it. Or he wanted it for his own personal records later. I don't know. But... It, I'm sure that he and his attorney had to make a tough decision there, Gary, as to whether to hand over that exculpatory evidence to show that he did not, in fact, rape this woman because they had to be aware of this law that says you can't, you know, record people secretly in these circumstances. And it's kind of funny because this is the same sort of statute that they were trying to jam up uh, Eric Greitens with, if you'll recall. In Missouri, it's called invasion of privacy. So uh, it got him out of the frying pan, but left him in the fire. And a little bit. Did this, uh, well, I would argue this would be the, a lot better uh, charge to face than rape. Uh, yes, did, for sure. Did this happen at her place or his place? Her place. 
So how did he film it without her knowledge? Apparently with his, with his phone, apparently. That's what I'm gleaning from this AP article. I hold a phone in one hand while I'm doing this. Uh, somebody's going to notice. Something is wrong That's here. That's true, unless the way you set up your phone shows that it's uh, consensual. Well, the phone has, yeah, the phone has to be in, in plain sight. I mean, unless... Yeah, so maybe he's an experienced actor with filming things. Could, well, you know, he couldn't uh, have left it... I, obviously, is not in a traditional marriage where they're open to doing things like this to begin with. Yeah, but, he, you know, he didn't... He, it's not like he left it in his pocket and recorded it. His, well, of course, no, that wouldn't be enough to exonerate him. So he had to place the camera somewhere where he could catch all the action... And she is allegedly arguing she didn't know. I I, I would say yeah. So you can maybe make the case that she must have known and implicitly consented. That's a good point to this being recorded. But I don't think she would have gone out on a limb to say I was raped and he did this and that when he did not, and the tape proves it. If she'd known it was recorded, do you? Uh, maybe he. Maybe she thought he erased it. Maybe he said I erased it and he didn't. Uh, I don't know. But I would I would wonder. Well, yeah, he does claim that he erased it, but he was able to recover it and upload it to Google. Well, that uh, might. Here's the thing. I, he was out. He, this made national headlines, Gary. He was ousted as the chair of the Florida Republican Party over this whole rape allegation. And so the prosecutors uh, have. The police cleared him of the rape, though, uh, that they have asked prosecutors whether they want to charge him with illegal video recording. Yeah, I so, uh, I think she she thought he erased it, deleted it, and there would be no proof. Uh, that's At least that's where I would go with this if I were, uh, if I were his attorneys. I'd get the whole thing thrown out. Or at least that's what I would. That's the, those are the grounds upon which I would try to get it all thrown out. Time well, you will... can't just make up the story. You have to kind of go with the facts that you have them. You can't, like, make up facts to get the client. Uh, you can propose that to a jury, play that seed in their mind if you don't know it's false. But it depends yeah, well, on what the client has told them. That's just, uh, you know, how you cleverly handle it as an attorney without, you know, necessarily, you know, telling uh, uh, a fib. And that's You're... why, yeah, I don't ask. I'm like, well, don't, don't tell me, you know, whether or not she thought this could have been deleted. Yeah, yeah you don't want to know that don't as an ask attorney. The client whether or not he thinks that she thought that, you know. So yeah, that's how you that's how you avoid those ethical situations is by not asking, uh, so that you don't end up presenting anything false in court knowingly. When, but and you can just argue, well, this, it could be this, it could be that. They haven't proven this beyond a reasonable doubt. Boy, you got to be really on your toes, even with your own client. What you can be told oh, yeah. and what you can't. Like, if you're going to say this, don't talk to me about it. I don't know how you do that. Well, but. I don't, I, yeah, you just have to say, well, what will the police say? That, what do you think the police will say you said? Or whatever, you know, like, uh, not what did you say? Then you just have to wait until discovery comes in before you have them, in serious cases, especially before you have them give their version of events uh, sometimes. It depends on the circumstances, but yeah, there are cases where you have to tread carefully, because if there is some sort of self-defense or whatever, there might be an available defense, 
You don't want to ask too specific of a question. It's too early in the case. Uh, what a question. What a, what a thin line to walk. All right. Uh, three girls were abducted and stabbed in 1975. And now they know who did it? Yeah, Gary, this is another one of these cases. I've brought a few of these up before, but they're using family trees in solving old cases through DNA. And in this instance, uh, investigators in Indiana said genetic gen- genealogy helps them determine that Thomas Edward Williams attacked the two sisters and a friend and left them in a cornfield. They survived. He died in prison in 1983, which is a good thing, eight years after this attack. Um, and it's not immediately clear what he was in prison for in 1983, but I'm sure it wasn't good. <laughs> but it's some closure for these three women uh, who were holding hands during this press conference as prosecutors were, you know, retelling the grisly facts of the case. But I do think that's good that it provided closure. And it's interesting because it's a daughter of this individual that did the attack that agreed to submit a DNA sample when investigators asked her to, to uh, that went ahead and matched. So he stabbed, he tied up two of the girls, stabbed all three and took one off in a field to do, you know, who knows what with her and then left them all for dead. Luckily, they survived. This, I've watched the videos on this genetic genealogy, and it is really impressive. Uh, I, I couldn't even begin to duplicate the mental gymnastics. They get this flow chart, and they, and they start looking at all, you know, who's father and grandfather and grandson, and, uh, and, and they bring it down and, until they finally come up with the, the, the person. And it's always validated. They verify it by then going out and getting DNA from their suspect, uh, sometimes surreptitiously. But it's just remarkable. It is remarkable. And, you know, as I've said before, these days, DNA is playing less and less of a role in crimes. It just confirms what we know because of videotapes, because of cell phone data and tracking, you know, GPS. Like, it's, it's much less of a an issue in today's in solving today's crimes it's more of a confirmation of what you already discovered with these new modern tools but for these older cases that was the only thing they had to go on and they didn't have dna technology at that time now with the family dna thing and this somehow this database it's a little complicated how it's working uh, but they're able to to identify people that weren't even on their suspect list to begin with and uh, solve things conclusively I, you know, it's almost a miracle that people can get away with crimes at all uh, between GPS on your phone, GPS in your car, cameras everywhere. Yeah, um, everyone has two cameras in their pocket at least. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Uh, how, do they, how is anybody getting away with anything? All right. We're up against the clock. We've got to take a quick break. Uh, New York Mayor vetoes bills that he said would handcuff the police. Well, other liberal cities are handcuffing law enforcement. Let's find out the details with Jennifer Bukowski, criminal defense attorney and a brilliant one at that. On the Gary Nolan Show, the Zimmer Radio Network. It is 1052. Jennifer Bukowski is with us. Uh, brilliant, I would argue, criminal defense attorney. By the way, uh, how's your, your that project of yours going for uh, uh, people who need uh, attorneys that the government won't provide? 
It's going well. It's Show Me Defenders. We are just handling one murder case right now, but we do pro bono murder cases for the Public Defender's Office. So, so far, so good. All right. Uh, <laughs> New York Mayor vetoes a bill that he said would handcuff police. What was that bill? Well, I'm a little torn on my I have thoughts on this story, Gary, because it is a bill that addresses solitary confinement in jails. And that is, in fact, something that is abused in our country and used far too often because it, it, it is a very cruel punishment or, or, I guess, penile strategy that is deployed against people because if you leave people in a cell by themselves 23 hours a day, sometimes even more than that, uh, completely isolated, they, it does break their mental sanity and it is very cruel. But what was proposed here, even the mayor of New York was like, this will not work. They went in, they proposed that you cap it at four hours total for solitary confinement and that they check on the people every 15 minutes. So that kind of takes away the solitary from that solitary confinement. If someone's checked on you every 15 minutes, and how much time do they think that people running jails have to be able to do something like that? It's just like another off-the-wall proposal in a blue city, I'll tell you what. So while I do uh, empathize with people who are trying to, you know, have checks in place on the use of solitary confinement, I don't think even the original proponents uh, to reform the use of solitary confinement would say you can only do for four hours and you have to check on them every 15 minutes. Because not everyone's going to be ready to go back into general pop after four hours, let me tell you. You know, they might not be down from whatever drugs they were on or they might not have cooled off from whatever fight they'd just been in well enough to trust them out into the general population once again. So they need to be able to use solitary confinement more than four hours, uh, but just not indefinitely for months at a time like what was happening in the federal level and in jails around the country. Are we about to execute somebody here in uh, Missouri? I think so. Uh, somebody from Kansas City, I believe. Um, and, yeah, and this is it. I've never seen this before. And, you know, I pay attention to these stories uh, a lot, these death penalty stories. And this is an unusual headline. In a, and it indeed, it says in the headline, in rare move, 60 Missouri prison staffers advocate for commuting man's death sentence. That's just not something you see every day. But apparently this prisoner uh, has had, you know, a relation. He's been such a good, upstanding prisoner during his years as in prison since the 2006 killing of his cousin, Sarah Bonney, and her husband, Ben Bonney, in New Bloomfield in central Missouri, uh, where most of your listeners are nearby. Um, he is set to be executed on April 9th. But 60 uh, corrections employees have said, please, Governor Partner Parson, commute the sentence. He's done nothing but be a model prisoner. He's in the honors dorm. And he even has the most trusted position in the prison where he does the haircuts, which is, I guess, how he's, you know, formed a lot of relationships with a lot of the corrections officers because he gives them their haircut. So can you imagine if you're a barber that you go to every week or every couple of weeks? Was it? scheduled to die and you like the guy and your friends and tell him about your life and everything else. I mean, that's basically what's going on here. Yeah, I can trust him with a sharp implement. Um, wow. Yeah, but yeah, what I, I thought was interesting. Like, yeah, have scissors around you. 
uh, he's not had any incidents and he's you know had a, a perfect record. Then do you really need to kill the guy? Well, what I thought was really interesting is how he ended up in the position that he's in. His defense attorneys told him to plead guilty. That is a very yeah. That's the other thing that just raised a red flag with me. Uh, he is uh, this pair of defense attorneys were contracted by the public defender's office, the same pair that represented another guy that was just recently executed. But how do you make a deal? This is what boggles my mind, Gary. How do you make a deal, a plea deal, where a client gets the death penalty? What exactly have you accomplished there? Like, yeah, well, they've well, given you nothing whatsoever. Like, if you get the death, you've, you've negotiated nothing, you know? I've seen a lot of where, you know, eventually you could be like, okay, that could be understandable if they have such strong evidence of guilt where you exchanged life without parole for taking away the death penalty. But who in the heck does it for a flat fee, nonetheless, no less, but on two different cases where they're like, just go in there and convince the guy to plead guilty and take the death penalty? It's just. Yeah, where's the deal? I shook my head reading that. Where's the deal in this? Now, couldn't he uh, uh, appeal his dis- uh, his uh, sentence or case uh, on uh, poor representation? Yeah, that's once you do. So you have your, even if you plead out, you do have an opportunity to uh, raise ineffective assistance counsel in a twenty four zero three five motion uh, after you are convicted. But the time window for that is within six months of being uh, handed over to the Department of Corrections. So that was a long time ago. And I don't know if he had an ineffective assistance of counsel then or if he was still so uh, riddled with remorse that he wasn't, like, raising this objection well enough to the attorneys handling that motion. But it certainly raised my eyebrows that they did this not just on one case but two. Michael Tysis also had this pair of attorneys that just got him to plead out and get death, according to this article in the Kansas City Star. That's, I, I mean, I don't know how you could look at that and not say, oh, this guy did not have effective, uh, 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 an effective defense. he defense. did, yeah. I, I know, I, I'm just stunned by it. And so <laughs> Here, let's maybe make a this deal. will be the first case that uh, Governor Parson actually takes a hard look at given that 60 prison staffers are advocating for him, too, and commuting yeah. it to life. Let's make a deal. You sign here, and we execute you anyway. All right, quick break. We'll be back. Jennifer Bukowski, uh, Supreme Court, and the Border Patrol, and Texas Razor Wire. Next. This is The Gary Nolan Show.